0: Should you do the RPL or PPL exam? Should you then do an RPL with endorsements or a full PPL? What about a PIFR or an IFR? The choices are sometimes just too much. Well, today is your lucky day because I'm going to answer all these questions and more coming right up. So strap in and let's get into it. Start, 9000, Coordinating on bank talent, Bank pressure rolling 30 degrees. 30 degrees there. G'day everyone and welcome to episode 111 of Flight Training Australia. Whether you're listening in Perth or Point Cook, the parafield or Pepperminati or anywhere else in between, this is the podcast all about flight training and flying in Australia and beyond. Whether this is your first time joining us or a seasoned listener, welcome to the episode. I'm your host, Trent Robinson, and thank you very much for joining me. Well, did my IPC yesterday. That was fun. Um, First flight I've done in the week and a bit, actually, too, because the weather's been so crap. But uh, it all held out okay. Bit of rain, bit of cloud. That was nice. Got the leans, did all those sort of fun things when you go flying in cloud. doesn't really matter whether you've... uh, got used to it or not. It was uh, really good to do and really enjoyed it. Flying with my mate, Matt, mama's mate. Thank you for making the time to fit me in and uh, done for another year. Interesting enough, at the same time, I got my PIFR renewed because uh, my castle was saying that it expired in December when my instrument rating expires next month in February. So again, don't understand how that works, but they're slowly getting there. So I got a email this afternoon with a notification of the PIFR flight review. It was it was labelled the form 61FR, which was uh, exactly like what I would fill out normally if I was doing a flight review form. And uh, yeah, I found that quite interesting. It's uh, good to have. The problem was, and uh, this is maybe something Casa need to think about, is it doesn't have the expiry date or anything else still. And the PIFR one is quite unique that... It's, uh, again, the legislation messed up, and I talk about this in the flight review episode, but it's a specific date that you set the flight. So it would be the 21st of February, uh, sorry, 21st of uh, January that that would expire, not the end of the month for a PIFR. But uh, anyway, it's getting there. I know some people are still getting uh, erroneous MyCaster issues. Hopefully they will be all resolved soon. Um, Speaking of bookings, Again, if you're looking, head up to Darwin and do some flying with me, I am incredibly busy. Now, I've had various periods in the past, but nothing like now. So I'm basically now out of it until May, uh, which is a long time away. And for everyone that's got stuff that's coming up short notice, unfortunately, it's a chock block I'm... Uh, very grateful for everyone booking in and flying, but uh, yeah, if you want to do anything especially big like instrument ratings, multi engine instructor training, uh, it's the time to plan ahead now. So anyway, get in touch with me. let me know. I'm basically at capacity for two ten checks and things at the moment as well, unfortunately, if anything changes or if there's cancellations, I can definitely um I've got a bit of a standby list going. But, uh, yeah, just plan ahead, guys, because I just hate people missing out and I'll do everything I can to fit you in, but I'm just at capacity. I just wouldn't be able to do my job properly if I tried to squeeze any more in. All right. And uh, finally, I'm not going to talk about this week, but this is definitely going to be an episode I'm going to try and cover the next week or the one after. And if you've been watching the news and uh, stuff online at the moment, you'll notice a sudden increase in twin-engine aircraft accidents in America. Now the majority of these are all training accidents, and again, I don't want to speak out of turn, but they would seem to be something to do with either stalling or VMCA uh, demonstrations and training incidents. So They've resulting in a aircraft spin and uh, impacting the ground. Very little forward motion, so that's a spin characteristic, and just terrible. And I don't know why there's suddenly a bit of an increase. It's the uh, lack of training for the instructors that are doing it or uh, lack of, uh, I don't know, there's there's a number of things that are obviously going on there. But either way, I want to talk about that uh, very soon. Won't be in today's episode, but um, I'm interested to know your thoughts and uh, what you think about it as well. All right, so today's episode we're going to just have a look at a few of the choices facing pilots in the beginning uh, part of their flight training. And the first one is which exam to sit. Now, I've sort of titled it RPL or PPL, but I guess um, I could also add CPL to this as well, depending on how far you're going. The The fact of the matter is, whilst there's an RPL flight test you might be going for, or a PPL, CPL, you might not do one. You can skip The RPL and go straight to a PPL. You can skip both the RPL and PPL and go straight to a CPL. You can just sit the seven CPL exams, or you can sit the PPL exam, still sit an RPL test or a PPL test. Uh, There's a number of combinations there. So, really, what this is leaning towards is if you're looking at sticking with a RPL with a NAV endorsement or adding some endorsements to it or just going straight through the PPL should you bother. Now, there's two kind of lines of thought to this apart from the fact that we can potentially halve the study workload, which is sort of true and it sort of isn't. Ultimately, if you're going to do a PPL, I would still recommend in most cases doing the RPL. The reason for it is this. If you're just doing RPL, PPL study, you're doing it casually. You're doing it part-time. It's not regularly. It's not, um, you know, multiple days a week necessarily. It's quite spread out. And so by breaking up the study into an RPL segment and a PPL segment, it's helping you with your attention your knowledge, your understanding, and it also gives you a license. Let's call it at the halfway mark. It's not quite, but uh, you can do the PPL bit a lot faster than the RPL flying component, but essentially halfway mark. There's a lot of people that have worked towards a PPL and not quite made it for any reason and uh, ended up really with nothing. They've just got a bunch of flight hours in a logbook. So you definitely want to try and get a RPL if you can. You can use that and enjoy that, keep keep your, your handling and general skills up, and then come back to the navigation training later on down the track, all right? Now, otherwise, you can just go straight through the PPL if you think you're going to do it in a consolidated effort. Now, if we want to know what's in the exams to see whether you want to skip one or not, you'll find that they're both virtually now almost identical. Now, to find out the exam codes, first of all, we need to go to the manual standards or the MOS, and we go into Schedule Four, and you'll see the RPL exam codes, and the the, the core exam is called the RPLA, and that is a aeroplane exam. There's obviously uh, rotary and um, airship, all that sort of stuff, gyrocopter, gyroplane, but this one's aeroplane. It's two hours and it's seventy percent pass mark. All right, now. If we go into module, or sorry, Moz Schedule 3, we can then look at, well, what is actually making up the RPL exam? And this is where there's a bunch of codes in there. And this is where we get BAKC, which is for all aeroplane categories. Then we've got RBKA, which is aeroplane theory. The RARO, or R-A-R-O, <laughs> which is radio theory. We've got the RFRC, which is a flight rules radio, and RPL MET. Okay, that's RMTC. This is all in the mods. You can look that up and have a look. <clears throat> you can then go to those individual sections and it'll give you the whole syllabus, essentially, of what's in each one of those uh, unit modules. If we look at the PPL exam codes, that's a three-and-a-half-hour exam is 70%. So you go, oh, well, that's pretty cool. And moving to the next segment, if we're going to do RPL and NAV endorsement versus PPL, you go, well, that sounds pretty good or not quite because if you're going to do the NAV component, or a NAV endorsement onto an RPL, then you also need to sit the uh, RPLN or NAV exam as well. And this is a one and a half hour NAV exam, which is a 70% pass mark as well. So if we add the two and one and a half hours, we're still doing essentially whilst broken up into two exams, a three and a half hour exam. So that's definitely something that you want to consider. If we have a look at the PPL codes, very similar. We've got Air Law, Air Theory, Uh, air rule, uh, licensing, what else we got here? Air law, human factors, navigation, MET, and performance and loading sort of stuff. So there's a couple of extra units in there, but they are wrapped up into the RPL exam. So there's not a whole lot of difference if you go through all the unit codes and everything else. So at the end of the day, the only reason you would be really considering doing an RPL and NAV endorsements is... Just because there's no controlled airspace, you're just really out in a complete outside controlled airspace sort of environment, in which case you might do the RPL and the NAV exam, but otherwise I would honestly go straight towards a PPL. Now, that feeds me into the RPL and PPL choice. Do I do the RPL endorsements or a full PPL? So a full private pilot's licence allows you pretty much to fly anywhere in Australia without any... uh, Restricted and danger area, well, restricted areas, and you can go into controlled airspace. You can not go into controlled airspace. You can go all sorts of places, pretty much anywhere you like. If we do an RPL, well, then we are restricted the 25 miles in the training area of the departure aerodrome. Now, if we look at the recreational pilot license endorsements that we can then add to an RPL later on, we have controlled aerodrome. Controlled airspace, flood radio, and recreational navigation endorsement. So basically, if you're going to do an RPL, you'll do the RPL flight test and get a flood radio endorsement at the same time. That one's pretty much covered. The rest of them are all issued by the flying instructor post uh, event. So there's a bit of a plus, I guess you could say, that you don't have to do another flight test. Um, It can be certified by an instructor. Now, I won't get into the politics of all that because I do find that a little bit odd and you'll start to understand why when I finish in a minute, because the training that you need to do for the navigation endorsement versus the PPL is identical. You're going through exactly the same process. So why a PPL holder needs to do a flight test at the end of it, whereas a nav endorsement for an RPL holder doesn't, you're going to have to ask quite Kass that one. I just don't really get how that works. But This is the rules we're working with at the moment, so that's what I'm going to talk about. So the recreational NAV endorsement, as I said, you need to pass the aeronautical knowledge exam for that endorsement and you need to complete, in addition to the RPL uh, flying, you need to do five hours solo cross-country time. So you sort of think, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Only five extra hours. Well, no, five hours of solo cross-country time. So people ask me this all the time and I go and they think it's a bit of a discount and it's simple. I said, well, what do you think you're going to need to do for me to send you for five hours of solo cross-country over two flights? Basically the PPL nav syllabus, all right? It's exactly the same thing and it should be the same thing. There's no difference between doing an RPL, PPL. Um, you need the still same knowledge, same skill sets to be able to fly in and out of airspace and get to A to B to C and back to A again. There is one subtle difference in that the cross-country flight of the five hours just needs to be over 100 miles. If you look at the PPL requirements, it needs to be over 150 nautical miles. And there needs to be two landings that are made um, other than the one from the flight it began for an RPL. So it could be an aerodrome in a training area and somewhere else. Whereas a PPL specifies that it needs to be two aerodromes not within the training area, um, or the for the aerodrome for which the flight began, so they need to be more further out. Um, <clears throat> yes, there's some command time and all that sort of thing, but honestly, you know, you need that knowledge and experience from a PPL to be doing that. You're going to end up with the same hours, same pro- process. Unless you're not looking to go into controlled airspace, I don't see a whole lot of point. I'd just go the full PPL. You're not going to be weight restricted. Um, It just makes life a whole lot easier for you. And you can add things to it, like a PIFR, a night rating, other aircraft endorsements over the RPL 1500 kilo weight limit. So it gives you a lot more options. And I definitely think that the uh, flying and the training and the licenses help will benefit you a lot, lot more. All right, what about advanced training? So I talked about night VFR the other week. How about instrument ratings versus private instrument ratings? So a similar thing, there's two exams, the PIFR and the IRX. Now, a lot of people opt to or initially sort of sway towards the PIFR because they don't think they can pass the IRX. Now, look, it is a very uh, air lorry, law-y, wordy, lawyer-speak kind of exam. Um, it can be challenging for some people. I totally get that. But you want to not shy away from it if you can. The PIFR is definitely there, and if you do the full instrument rating, you can get the PIFR issued at the same time. The main benefit of that is an IFR rating needs a proficiency check done every 12 months like I just did, whereas the PIFR is a flight review with an instructor every two years. So you've got some options to do there. Now, think about the process of what's required there. A lot of people have arguments and say that the PIFR is dangerous and they should get rid of it and it's no good. Well, like I tell people, if I need to do a check every 12 months and I can tell you now that, you know, I need to do that and the the practice and exposure of everything I do, what do you reckon you need as a private pilot not doing it very often? So use common sense with all this sort of stuff. If, if I do my job as an instructor, my student's going to understand that this is something not to be messed with. They're going to do it properly and they're going to keep themselves current and, and use it safely and use it as an extension of their license. Remembering flying into a cloud and weather is not an access all areas thing. There's still times where you just can't go. And this last week's been a classic example of that. We've had cloud embedded weather and I haven't got weather radar on this particular aircraft. I can't tell where it is. So you need to really think about what we're doing and whether we really need to be going today. All right, so the two exams, if you look at the PIFR and the IRX, again, you can go to the uh, manual standards and you can compare, if you wanted to, the, the content of each of them, and they are almost identical. The biggest difference is that the PIFR initially is an en route exam. So it's really designed uh, as a qualification to depart, get to lower safe, enter cloud, fly to your destination, break visual at lower safe at the other end, and uh, land. There's no instrument approaches, there's no instrument departures or anything else. All those other things are called flight procedure authorizations and they all get broken down into individual elements. So very much like an instrument rating, you might decide that you just want to do uh, RNP, GPS approaches, ILS and VOR, or NDB, whatever it is. Okay, if you decide for a PIFR, you might only want to do GPS and VOR approaches, just so you've got something else to do. All right. Either way, you're going to have to go spend time practicing all that. Now, the flight time differences are are there. There's 20 hours for the PIFR, 40 hours instrument for the uh, instrument rating, and That, again, sounds like a bit of a discount, but it's usually because we're spending a bit less time not doing as many different types of approaches and things. But there'll still be a fair bit of time in the sim before you start, and then you go flying and put it all into practice. So all the different flight procedure authorizations that you add, they also include the SIDS, uh, STARS, night flying, multi-engine, single-engine, of course, and then all the individual instrument approaches. An instrument rating, we just cover it all pretty much and you get an instrument rating at the end of it. PIFR, you need to put it on your flight plan so the air services know that you're not a full instrument rated pilot, even though you are. Um, Again, not my rules, but there's all these little extra differences and things that you need to do. So if you're going to be flying IFR and you're going to be doing it privately in your own aeroplane with the same sort of equipment and everything else, then, you know, I don't see the PIFR as a bad thing. Um, Like I said, you've got to do the exam. What I didn't mention is when you go to do the individual approaches, the flight school that you've got will set you an in-house theory exam for each uh, authorization that you're basically going for. All right, so that's how that all works. I personally have only done a couple of PIFRs. I've got it myself just so that it's there, that, you know, one day I decide not to go full IFR, I can just let my instrument rating expire and use my PIFR privately. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but hey, it's there, irrespective. The instrument rating is a little bit longer. You could argue it is a little bit more expensive. That being said, Instrument rating training usually goes for a more competent uh, commercial pilot, can be given to an a private pilot too. But sometimes the private pilot, given less experience and everything else, they take a little bit longer either way. And so the cross-benefit gets eaten up by doing extra time and extra flights to try and get to standard. So you need to sort of look at yourself there and what experience you've got. I would strongly recommend a night rating first even if you didn't do the flight test, but certainly going through the motions of really getting comfortable with GPS operation, basic instrument flying, getting a good scan going and being comfortable in the dark. These things, even even if you're going to do full instrument rating, these both go a long way to uh, helping you feel comfortable and safe uh, before you go out and do the process there. All right, but they are both available to you. They both have benefits. I don't see a whole lot of point in doing a PIFR and then later on upgrading to an IFR, a full instrument rating. You're virtually doing the same thing. If you need to, because cost is an issue, you can do a single-engine aircraft first. Um, I have spoken in other episodes about blending single-engine and multi-engine for the full instrument rating. I'm not a big fan. I've had people, uh, I've tried it once or twice, and it's just been a struggle. We learn everything slowly at 100-odd knots in a, in a slow single-engine IFI aeroplane, then they've got to do it at twin speed. And any cost savings just get chewed up by doing extra multi-flights, and it doesn't take long for that cost saving to be eaten up too, let me tell you. If you're doing it in a faster single, okay, could be a bit of an argument there that it might work out okay, but typically it's not because a faster single usually costs more and is closer to the twin price, so not a whole heap of savings there. I would spend the time doing it in the platform that you choose. At the end of the day, the cost is the cost and you just need to find a way to deal with that. And if that means just waiting a bit longer and saving up or doing it through something like fee help and all that, then there's options there. But again, if you're doing fee help, please, please, please really understand it. Know the cost and uh, it's not the cost that you see on the brochure. I've had people who started doing fee help courses some 10 years ago plus and now the inflation rates and everything else keep going up and so what was $60,000 now is closer to 100000 and they're barely anywhere and near paying it off. So really understand what fee help is and how it works and how long it is actually going to take you to pay off because that amount that you loan can grow very quickly indeed over a number of years. All right, but I'm not going to talk about that now. That's a whole, whole topic on itself. All right, guys. So hopefully that all sort of gives you some things to think about there and, and, and help you with uh, what's going on. Personally, I would always try and just do the highest level of training that is available to you at the time. There's no real shortcuts in this game, and any shortcuts that may present themselves usually end up not being the case down the line. And cost you more. At the end of the day, sometimes that's just what it is. I get that. And you cop the cost and you you accept that. But if you can just be a little bit more patient, wait just a little bit longer, study a little bit harder and pass those exams and things and um, do the higher qualification, you're definitely better off doing that in my opinion. All right, everyone, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening again. Uh, I've been getting heaps of messages from you guys. Thank you so much. I am trying to respond to all of them. Um, But again, as I said, with my schedule at the moment, it's uh, getting a little bit tricky, but I will get to you. So flick me an email, info at trentrobinsonaviation.com.au. You can chat to me on Instagram, Facebook, follow me there as well, see what I'm up to every day. And uh, I look forward to seeing you somewhere in the air. All right, until then, though, blue skies, and remember the golden rule, aviate, navigate, communicate. Cheers, everyone.